Hey, this is Tony Tran and Natalie Silverstein to do a podcast about this week's Influence Weekly, episode 94. So some quick introductions. I'm Tony Tran, co-founder and CEO of Bamanu, marketing platform for analyzing and amplifying influencer content. Yep, and I'm Natalie Silverstein. I'm a vice president at Collectively. We are an influencer marketing agency. We've been around for about six years, which is an eternity in influencer marketing. And we work with clients, mostly consumer brands, but some B2B brands as well, all over the map, technology to food and beverage, to CPG, to retail, et cetera. I'm really excited to be able to host this this edition yeah. of this podcast. Cool. Yeah, we got some really awesome articles. And, um, you know, Natalie and I, when we were looking through these, I think, there are actually two pretty interesting themes that were sort of woven throughout all of the articles. So one was sort of the maturation of influencer marketing as a real media channel, and the other one was the evolution of retail and how consumers shop. We thought these articles actually neatly fell into one of those two buckets. So I guess we can start off, maybe talk about how, you know, Natalie here actually has been in influencer marketing since almost day one. So when you talk about the evolution of the channel, I think she has some pretty cool insights and we can compare it to some of the stuff that uh, these articles have said. Yeah, so we'll jump around a little bit. We won't go kind of chronologically article by article, but rather yeah. jump around so that we are following some of yeah. our line of thinking. And um, yeah, it's super cool. fun to to always to see news kind of batch together and then try to make sense of it this way. So I think to start off the Digiday article, um, treating influencers like a real media channel. And there's something interesting here that I think the industry is a little bit divided on. You know, I think. Um, at least in my experience in the space, Natalie, seems like there's one camp that talks about, you know, the rise of micro influencers, all these platforms that let you work with hundreds, thousands of influencers, and it's not about followers, it's about just quantity of content. But on the other side, you know, Digiday is talking about deeper relationships, higher quality content, repeated activations. So I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious, you know, based on your work, do you yeah. fall in one camp versus the other or? So for us, because of the breadth of different clients and different kinds of engagements we're dealing with, it's really, it, the answer is it depends. So while we definitely see amazing results from long-term partnerships, we see um, you know, over time looking at the analytics and looking at conversation, we see the percentage of relevant comments go up significantly over time and even move from more of a awareness kind of bucket of the type of conversation to more um, you know, purchase intent and advocacy, we see that change over time. And that's obviously directly connected with the way that the influencer is talking about that content. Um, and so, you know, for certain brands, it makes a lot of sense to build ambassadorships. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that a lot in the travel space. So having year-long ambassadors uh, who get to experience the travel brand, whether that's, you know, various, an airline or, or another kind of transportation mode, uh, we see the, the real value in, in illustrating all the different ways that that company can be meaningful in somebody's life, played out over time. Uh, generally, that you know that equals high-quality premium creator with a really strong, authentic audience, um, and really having that that content work really hard, both from the influencer's perspective, they're really enjoying making that content and, and pushing it across all of their channels, so it works for them. But then also the brands are set up to really ingest that content and utilize it across their whole marketing mix. Then on the other hand, you might see a beauty brand who's really interested in just seeding product and starting to get reviews going and just the, the point is lots of perspectives on yep. said product and therefore more of a micro or nano approach would make more sense. Got it. You know, I think that reflects a lot what we saw. You know, I um, personally, I'm a little bit biased towards the more long-term relationships. 
It might be because some of the clients that we work with, the amount of energy to educate an influencer about what's on brand, what's not on brand, and all these, you know, influencer marketing nowadays is so complicated in terms of all the different content rights, licensing rights, that um, to have to train people over and over and over again can become quite costly. So it's almost a math equation of, you know, if I'm going to invest X amount of hours per influencer, I want to extract as much value as I can. And if I can work that person again and again, or maybe even on one activation, have them create multiple pieces of content or variations of the content so I can repurpose can be uh, quite, quite helpful. Um, we've worked with a couple companies, especially in the fashion space where, you know, you don't know what content works out of the gate. So you want that one influencer to create a lot. And typically, would you agree that it, per, on a per content basis, it tends to be cheaper when you work with fewer influencers than if you were to try and get like one content per? Yeah, I mean, I think that depends yeah. always. I, I hate to say it, but that's yeah. like always my answer is it depends because this industry is so broad. But I would say generally it's, um, if you're not doing with super top, top talent, like a David Dobrik yeah. or whatever, who's very expensive, but you know, even a yeah. kind of a, a really high quality mid-tier creator, yeah, if you work with five people as opposed to a hundred, it sense. may be cheaper. Um, but if, once you're getting into that elite territory where they have, you know, a Hollywood agent and they're, you know, they're going to be negotiating up for sure. But yeah, I think it's, I think you see a, a real um, cost savings over time. Yep. and. You have the opportunity to, you know, give give the creator the content, the conditions that help them be more creative. We always talk about this um, at Collectively. There's this idea of the value exchange. Yep. So creators are not just um, an asset you can have a transactional relationship with. I don't think uh, it's actually about a human to human relationship when it all comes down to it. And so figuring out ways to um, kind of negotiate the various needs from each party. And that's what obviously what agencies do like us is taking the, the creators consider the creators um, kind of ideal conditions for creating into consideration with the, what the brand needs and making sure that they're set up for success. So, um, you know, it can be, it can be challenging for sure to get into a deeper relationship, but I think you also get into an opportunity for optimization. Yeah. Which I think you're, you were starting to get into a little bit where it's like you don't necessarily know it's going to work out the gate. So getting the creator the, the kind of the runway to experiment yeah. a bit with their own audience, the brand experiment a bit with placing the content in other, other parts of their, their marketing ecosystem, then you start to see a lot of really positive results. Yeah. No, actually, that's a really good segue. You know, I think regardless of if you want to start off building fewer relationships but deeper or going with a broad like sampling approach, there is so much value to working with the same influencers multiple times down the road. You know, one of the things that we've seen is I think about influencer content as sort of like this iceberg. And for the last few years, I think people have really only extracted value from the tip. You know, it's I give some exchange of product or cash to an influencer, they create content, their followers like it, comment, and then some buy. But what is sort of missing is everything underneath the waterline, right? Like there's so much value. When you go through all that effort to find the perfect influencers that creating content that resonates with your target audience, there's the actual audience data that's associated with the content. And I, when I talk about audience data, it's not just you know pretty charts and graphs. It's actual tangible data that represents who are the people that will respond well to this content, even if they have no idea who the influencer is. Um, but then there's also things like being able to retarget and you know just having multiple variations of the content. I think we've read somewhere that on average, you know, a consumer interacts with seven pieces to 11 pieces of content before buying. And um, it's much easier, right, to engineer those sort of buyer journeys when you can sort of activate the same influencers again and again. So I think um, you know, my, my sort of read on the space is 
working with a lot of influencers out of the gate is a great way to understand where your fit is. But then if you can find just even a few, like a small group of like your, your ambassadors and really try to engineer a way to extract as much value from that content iceberg as you can. You know, I think that's when you start getting to the conversions, the ROAS targets that would make even performance marketers jealous, right? Yeah. Rather than just staying at the likes and comments. Yeah, so that's kind of what your business is all about, right? It's about taking, kind of helping move this this whole industry from really a brand awareness and last click attribution kind of performance channel to a much more integrated um, kind of yeah. really performance yeah. focus <laughs> channel, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, like when we started, you know, I think like everyone in the influencer space has a pretty, like there's one pretty big theory that just makes sense from a common sense standpoint. It's like if you can somehow get in front of people that are exposed to your brand through the voices of influencers, theoretically, they should be a lot more primed to buy if you were just to get in front of them again, right? Versus just going out to someone that has never seen your product before. But until now, it's just been really hard to figure out, hey, who has seen influencer content about my brand and how can I get in front of them? So that's what we sort of do at Lamanu is, you know, try to triangulate and let's figure out who are the people that have already been primed by influencer content so that I can, you know, more effectively convert them. And the nice thing is, yes, the brand gets money, but I think doing so also really validates the importance of content by influencers. I mean, there's just certain things that regular people or influencers can say that brands cannot. Mm -hmm. You know, can you imagine like, you know, for the last hundred years, right, we've been so used to brands telling us, look how cool we are, look at how nice this beverage is, or how this pill is gonna help you. But it wasn't until the explosion of influencers in social media that we could hear those stories, the lens of people we can relate to. Totally, which we, we definitely advocate for collectively is just the, the fact that influencer marketing is encouraging so many more diverse voices within advertising in general and is allowing for lots of different translations of, of values, you know, yeah. whether it's you know, people, people who are really successful creators, um, they have something about them and it's sometimes really hard to put a finger on. You can't necessarily quantify like the why someone has been able to garner a lot of followers aside from you know the kind yeah. of shady Genius. you know people yeah. who buy followers. Those people we're not talking about. Um, but we're you know just in terms of like that that it kind of in almost intangible value set that someone represents. It's an aspiration. It's a it's a sense of a worldview. It's a, a, a an aesthetic sensibility. All that kind of those things kind of wrapped up into one seeing an audience kind of amass around that almost intangible notion is almost impossible to replicate as if you were just like trying to build an audience in, you know, Facebook yeah. ads manager, right? It's very difficult to do that. It's a different so channel. It's yeah. A, yeah. And so I think the influencers really represent such an interesting kind of source of partnership and alignment for brands who are values based and more and more we're seeing that brands are required to have values. Yeah, and that could be the value is beauty. The value is great totally. design. The value is whatever. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a super kind of noble, pro-social, progressive value set. Though we do see that those kinds of brands do better, frankly, do better. In this, in this especially day. in this society, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there's there is something so special about influencers and the way that our culture is both being driven by kind of influence and and yeah. individual voices having so much kind of sway in our culture and you know that dialogue kind of coming back on in and in and on itself. So we talk a lot about at collectively about how advertising kind of both creates the conversation sometimes and you know it is driving culture, but it's also responding to culture. And I think the influencer channel is such a, a clear example of that, where there's such a, a an ongoing dialogue uh, between brands kind of getting into conversation, cultural conversation because of influencers. It's yeah. Cool. 
Now, I think it's really interesting because you come from a you know much more of like a PR influencer lens, whereas I came from a media lens. And I think you know one of the big mistakes I've seen, and this is a good sort of transition to a really good article that was brought up in this week's um, sort of section is uh, you know dear Mushu Dad, right? And He's talking about how brands can get amazing content. And I think this is such a hard thing because one of the things I always get asked is like, hey, you know, you're a data scientist. Is there some quantitative scientific way to say this is good content and this is bad content? And like you mentioned, it really depends. There's no scientific way. And I think anyone that tries to sell technology that says there is a one size fits all, it's, you know, bull, right? Yeah, so, totally. I mean, yeah. there, it's, I think this, this, if we're talking about influence marketing as a channel, it's just really complicated. Yeah. I think it's so much more nuanced and layered than I think most people who are sitting from the outs on the outside really understand um, that there is we're dealing with just every single niche you can imagine practically. Yeah. Um, you know, for collectively we work with sometimes we work with sports women and like women who are outdoor outdoor sports enthusiasts all the way over to very specific kinds of cake decorators all the way over to you know, entrepreneurs who are running technology companies. I mean, it's all over the place. And yeah. the content for those communities that those influencers have created, it looks really different. And success looks really different. Uh, the level of polish, the level of kind of informality, like the format, is it a story, is it a post, is it a video, is it a, you know, where it lives. Yeah. It's all so diverse. And um, I agree that there's no like single kind of defining set of criteria. Though I do agree with with what um, I think what, what was listed in this article about kind of like the things to always look for, like understanding how important licensing is. Yeah. So <laughs> oh my that's gosh. one one reason yeah. you know, I would advocate for working with an agency or, or some some set of experts who really understand the the new like kind of the requirements there. I'm sure you've heard of horror stories on both sides, right? When totally. Licensing is not talked about mm -hmm. at the onset. So. Yeah, because that brand really wants to be able to utilize that content effectively. Creator wants to be given, you know, compensation for that. Um, things can go bad quickly yep. on the internet, as we know. Uh, I think we've seen. Um, how... Pop Sugar getting sued for 500 million. Oh, I didn't see that. So. Crazy story. There was a hackathon for Pop Sugar, and I guess one of the interns or engineers scraped reward style for some images and put it on a hidden Pop Sugar website. But all the affiliate links got replaced. You know, the influencers all had their own reward style links got replaced by the Pop Sugar reward style links. And I think this is one of the crazy things about licensing, right? The person that's negotiating the deals or talking to the influencers aren't always the people that are using the content. Because the content could be used by a billboard company, it could be used by you know a software engineer at a hackathon. And it's that discrepancy that makes it crazy. And then you know, one side gets hurt, one side gets sued. Yeah, yeah so cl cl clear, <laughs> smart contracting, licensing, and documentation, and yeah. kind of the adherence to that, yeah. whatever the agreement was, is super important in the space. Definitely saw that. Um, I think the, the idea of briefing mm -hmm. creators in a way that allows them to have a pretty clear sense of what their you know what the product is and what the ultimate big picture messaging might be about the product but ultimately you're hiring them as a brand because they know how to talk to their audience like you don't know how to talk to their audience you don't know those people like you haven't been in dialogue with them for years on end which is what you know a yeah. lot of the creators have like built that built that those relationships over a very long time to me it's like it's it's obvious that you you shouldn't be too strict on what it is that you're asking for yeah so. Sometimes it's very counterintuitive. I mean, we, 
you know, one of the neat things about our platform is we do measure all the way down to conversions um, wherever we can, which is pretty much anyone that has an e-commerce site. And some content that you think will perform better for a certain audience just doesn't. You know, this piece of content where you're like, hey, you know, if this was a brand ad, it would go terribly, you know, it would just perform terribly. But now that it's an influencer ad, it performs so well. So I think that's one of the other things I would urge is, you know, it's so um, comforting sometimes to come in with assumptions based on your past experiences. But really, you know, what works for brand ads don't work for influencer ads, even though they're both on Facebook or they're both on Instagram. And that can be counterintuitive, but that's just the way it is. Totally, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also think this idea of performance is interesting. Like, what does what are we talking about? Yep. Um, so obviously, with your with kind of the shift from just organic posting to organic posting plus paid boosting plus then an extended kind of even mm -hmm. deeper kind of connection into a brand's data set that Tony is working on. You know, you can go all the way down to conversions, but and kind of longer longer tail attribution, yeah. right? Um, but when we're just talking about the basic metrics, the engagement metrics, there's been a lot of dialogue about this. Yeah. Um, and I actually connected something that's been going on, a, a larger conversation that's not necessarily represented in this, um, this list exactly, but there was a, a little piece at the end of the newsletter about how Instagram Stories is built, is built, Instagram is building some new interactive features in the stories. And I think this ties in really nicely to this broader demetrication. Yeah. Situation. So demetrication is a new word, uh, literally. <laughs> uh, or I think it's like coined recently, from what I understand. I'm putting it in every dictionary right yeah, now. Yeah, I was like demetrification. <laughs> no, definitely not. I saw it in Wired. Um, but anyway, I think it's uh, what we're seeing is obviously Facebook and Instagram and other channels. You know, YouTube has some some efforts too around this. Just like starting to experiment with removing different visible metrics, with the you know the excuse being that this is going to help with mental health because yeah. you're not going to be necessarily as a as a, a creator, you're not going to be quite as compelled by just like the the visible kind of markers of success of a post, and that's just, this is just for individual users, not necessarily you know influencers. Um, but obviously, any changes like that impact everybody on the platform. So um, we're really seeing that you know this conversation around demetrication as not being something to fear, and in general, this whole space like is changing so much all the time that our mode is just to like roll with it and figure yeah. out where the opportunity is and kind of maintain optimism in the face of all this change because we know that influencers are not going anywhere. It's just yeah. evolving and that's that's exciting. It's exciting to be able to be in an industry that's constantly moving because you get to you get to solve new problems every day. Anyway, um, to me like seeing the investment in stories shows me that you know Facebook and Instagram slash Instagram Instagram by Facebook I believe yeah. um, is really pushing users towards stories right yeah and frankly some of these these cool new interactive features what is it like polling stickers and you can start a chat group now yeah on totally story. that's pretty cool amazing I mean that's yeah. kind of tying into some of the interesting themes or excuse me trends we're seeing like with Discord yeah. communities and you know on other apps and even WhatsApp to an extent yeah um, these private communities that are growing and I know Facebook has been really successful with groups. So seeing a, almost like an evolution of the Instagram yep. product set that way. And then also um, other kinds of just like fun stickers that in, kind of encourage, uh, I think it's like a quiz sticker, like a multiple choice. That's such a deeper engagement with content than just like a kind of blunt like, yeah. double tap like. You know, <laughs> if you, especially if you watch teenagers ever like totally. playing with the app, they just like tap, 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 tap. Like they're not actually absorbing, yeah. whereas some of these these newer ways of engaging could actually be more valuable to brands over time. You might see the engagement rate overall go down, but I think that the quality of those engagements are going up, and that's what we're really focused on. Yeah, and I think this is one thing that I've noticed, 
you know, the, the agencies like Collectively that have really innovated this space, you know, you can't hold on to what used to work and the measurements, right? Cost per engagement, CPE, I mean, everyone's heard, you know, you should aim for two to five cents, 10 cents CPE. That might be true two years ago, but in this space, like you mentioned, you know, you might, that might be okay if you're measuring likes and comments, but, you know, a click or a, uh, a group chat, right, seems like a new engagement now, it's worth way more than what a like or comment is. And if you're so rigid about running campaigns based on CPM, right, cost per thousand impressions, mm -hmm. cost per engagement, you know, you're gonna lose the forest a little bit. Totally. You know, in the trees, so. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's there are a few articles in, in the newsletter about some new platforms, or at least that kind of hint at that. So, you know, knowing that TikTok is coming for <laughs> us all, um, or whatever, or even just Instagram, um, yeah, I feel old even though I'm not even that old. I'm like, what's TikTok? I gotta <laughs> yeah, go to a high school and it's, start it's pulling some kids. It's pretty fun. I mean, it's, it, it's definitely like either. I sometimes I, I was joking to a, a colleague that it's sort of like when you when you turn it on, you sort of like just feel like you're like entered this alternate reality, you know, because you just have no idea what's yeah. coming at you, and it's pretty it's pretty compelling. Anyway, but knowing that that's like a whole other set of inter, in, like engagement metrics and ways of connecting. Um, yep. There's just a, a, so much territory to explore, yeah. and like, like, let me, like you said, if you're so rigid in the in your business model, as you know, depending where you are in the influencer marketing space, whether you're a creator or you are an agency like us, or you're, you know, a, a, a talent agent representing a creator, um, it's you can't be you can't be hemmed in by those yeah. those metrics. You have to always be thinking creatively. So, um, speaking of new platforms, you know, I think this was the other the second big theme that we've seen in some of these articles um, is this evolution of retail, right? And how the younger generations prefer to shop. And I think it's really interesting because not only are there more platforms for people to play with, but now even like Instagram, which has been around for several years, is introducing an e-commerce capability within the platform itself, checkout and so forth. And I think it's really interesting, you know, this blurring the line between social and shopping. Um, so one of the articles here, right, mentioned that, I guess they use the word kids, which in their definition is what anyone below 16. So some of them have their own credit cards, some of them are using their parents' credit cards, but they're literally now thinking about, you know, hey, actually, I wouldn't mind shopping at a retailer that really was just this one influencer. And I think what's interesting is um, if you look back, we've sort of started seeing a few of these, what I call personal brands that really became household brands, right? With Gwyneth Paltrow and Goop a little bit there, Glossier started off as a blog, and now it's a billion dollar company. And I think those were sort of like the trailblazers. Mm -hmm. And it was hard back then for a, personal brand to build up the expertise and everything to become its own retailer but that i mean that bar and that barrier to entry is so low now like i'm just thinking you know with um like kylie jenner literally started her business on instagram billion dollars right totally she had a bit of a head start with uh, you know, yes that, but, but yeah, yeah she she made herself into a billionaire and shopify i guess crazy yeah, yeah, totally yeah. thanks shopify uh, yeah, I think it's it's super interesting, and actually, I appreciated that this uh, article referred to these young folks as Gen Alpha yeah. or Generation Alpha, which are I, I did a little bit more research, and uh, is that an industry term now? Well, it, yeah, so it exists now as a term, obviously, nice. like you know, dubious sources in yep. the internet, we'll see, but um, but it was loosely defined as kids of millennials. Oh. So now is this different from Gen Z? This is different from Gen Z. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of overlap, but yeah. I saw it as people who were born after 2010. Yeah. So kids who really are of the like Amazon Alexa generation, where that's just totally ubiquitous. And so one thing that was interesting is that while 
I think this article noted that young people are super receptive to digital creators and influencers, however you want to think about those people. They also expect Amazon level service. Yeah. <laughs> so instantaneous access to goods and services and um, you know everything that goes along with that. Two-day free you know, shipping. How easy, how easy yeah. it is to buy, right? Amazon, like obviously the innovators of the one click. The expectation is one th one click in the world, especially for young people. So interesting to kind of see that connect in with this idea that creators can become brands. Um, you know, we've seen some, some successful crossovers in the specifically in the fashion space with more of our kind of contemporary yeah. fashion blogger folks. So something maybe uh, built a deal with Nordstrom, launched a fashion line that sold out instantly. It was hugely successful and has since. I they got acquired recently, I think, by Nanam. I think so, yeah. yeah. Or they're connected to them. Yeah, yeah, anyway, but they're now kind of branching out and becoming their own brand. Um, but to me, it's like an interesting opportunity, maybe, for some of thinking more kind of business strategy wise. Um, some of these failing department stores. Yeah. You know, well, they have historically departments have been makeup and shoes mm -hmm. and the junior section and the, the adult section, whatever. Now, I wonder if some of them could, you know, that are losing value. I mean, Macy's is down 50% since the beginning of the it's year. Crazy. Crazy. So thinking about how influencers or content creators could start to be, you know, brands underneath these larger legacy umbrellas could be interesting. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, something maybe was, at least I've heard through the grapevines, was hugely successful. And um, I don't know why there hasn't, haven't been more of those type of collaborations. I know there's a lot of like these product capsules, Absolutely, but yeah. full on like product collaboration, similar to like Martha Stewart, right? Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, it's not or as like common the, as you know the Olsen twins yeah. became like billionaires because of that, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I it could be that you know, back to kind of this whole maturation of the influencer economy and the influencer marketing space. It, it could be that there wasn't enough belief at the, the the top levels of some of these legacy or kind of whatever kind of what's the word um, uh, incumbent organizations, <laughs> right? So you think about who the leadership might be of some of these you know, these companies that do have the resources to really support a small brand, they may not be a really bought in on influencer marketing. They might not really get it. Yeah. Um, they might see some of these stats, but they might not really get it. So in the same way that I think some, some there's been some limitations of the VC funding model, yeah. not necessarily getting some of the emergent business models or, or customers that people, you know, entrepreneurs are building products for, there may be some kind of disconnect between decision makers and what's yeah. actually working. So that could be something unclear, um, but I think this whole idea of this like blurring, blurring of lines between, you know, kind of, I guess, brand, personal brand, influencer, celebrity, we're just seeing that all kind of collapse in yeah. itself, right? No, I think it's, you know, I think Natalie and I both share the same excitement about the space. I think we're we're entering the spot now where all the low hanging fruits are done and now really this is where innovation happens, right? It's not just let me pay you, you're gonna post in your feed, I get some likes and comments, I put on a PowerPoint deck, my boss is happy. The ways of working with an influencer from product collaboration to augmented reality, I mean there's some really fun stuff that I've heard. You know, I've heard of you can literally now there's a company out there literally 3D scanning influencers, saving that file and turning it into like a mannequin to sell to retail stores to help, you know, like the number of ways that influencers can work with brands now are many. And I think that number is only going to go up. Totally. So, so I think it's so yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, for, for the creators or influencers that are actually listening to this, there is one thing I would, I would really urge you is, you know, as this world explodes, you should really think carefully about how you sort of license out your, your likeness. 
because now it's not just people using your content, you know, it's literally people using your name, your identity. And, uh, you know, as you grow, you know, your own personal brand and you become potentially a brand in the future, right? Your, your likeness and your, your IP is basically you. And I think that's something that I'm hearing a lot now. Like I was just talking to a talent manager, um, you know, that I'm very close to. And she's like, yeah, this company's coming in trying to license my influencer's voice. Like, how do I even, like, how do I, you know, forever? Like they want a perpetual license. And, you know, those type of questions are, are starting to come up a lot more. And I feel like there has to be a lot more transparency, a lot more education of this whole space. Definitely. Definitely agree with that, um, which again points to getting some education, getting some people who can advocate for you, and um, making sure you're really clear-eyed about what you're doing as a creator. And it's exciting. All, all of this is really exciting territory. I mean, just seeing what the access that you know, quote unquote, regular people have to like building a brand for themselves in the world and, and doing what they love, ideally, um, is pretty exciting. Cool. Awesome. Well, hey, you know, it's been great. I like going through some of these articles with you. I think, you know, it's really just fun talking through, you know, a lot of times Natalie and I will like be talking on Slack, but like to be able to voice these, totally. you know, these opinions down. We don't always agree on everything, but I think for the most part, you know, we're pretty aligned and it's an exciting time to either be a marketer or a creator, a brand, an agency. Um, but yeah, so thank you for joining us. And uh, by the way, thank you Influence Weekly for for having us on to, to talk through. You guys picked some really awesome articles to read. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Bye.